Good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for being here and for worshiping with us today. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for worshiping as well. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I always like to get that out so you have time to get to the passage we're going to be looking at. If you didn't bring your Bible, hopefully you received the handout on your way in here. It has the Bible passage printed for you so that you can follow along with us. Now, for several weeks, after for quite some time, we've been working our way through Jesus' greatest sermon, the, what, that we now know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been working our way through, but today we come to Jesus' final statements in his message, in the final statements of the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to be concluding this series with his final statements. And so, um, I, well, first of all, I'll just say thank you for engaging with us in this process and, and being a part of this study, engaging in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're here for the first time, you'll get a chance to kind of get a little bit of an overview and just see how it ends because um, we're going to conclude today. But we're also going to be kicking off sort of an introduction to where we're going to be headed this summer because this passage really helps set up for where we are going. So we're going to really do both things. Bring a conclusion and an introduction at the same time as we look at this passage. But in order to do that, first I want to begin by just a story, because I think it'll help us uh, really frame, frame this, this passage for us today. If you and I were to go back in time to 1173 AD, uh, we, into a, a region of Tuscany, Italy, a small little area, we might have the opportunity to meet a man with a very unusual name of Bonanno uh, uh, Pisano. And I'm not making that name up. I had to think about it. Bonanno Pisano is his name. And he, he was, a, was an architect. And he lived during this time. And he was an architect who was preparing for his masterwork. He was an architect that had been commissioned by his town to build a tower a, a bell tower, a beautiful bell tower that was really to be a, a beautiful grand representation of uh, Tuscan Romanesque art. And so it was to be his masterwork. And he was an architect, uh, but he was really a better architect than he was an engineer. Because as he began to build his tower, he found out that the ground underneath the tower was not as solid as everyone thought it was. And so it was that he, as he began to build this tower, that it began to sink and it began to tilt. And he did some quick, uh, you know, emergency uh, endeavors to try to shore up the foundation so that it would be built up straight. But it continued to tilt, it continued to lean. So it is that we come to a tower that is now known as the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Okay, you've heard of it. All right. Now this tower... Um, it, it, it just continued, by the way, to tilt. And as much as the, the, they tried, and they tried for years and years to shore up the foundation at the same time that they were building this tower, eight stories high, um, it took them, by the way, 199 years to finish this tower. The whole time trying to fix the foundation as they're building up, and it just continued to lean and lean and lean. In fact, by the, by the end of there, the last several floors of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, they tried to build at an, an angle so that it would try to appear straight. But anyone who's seen the tower knows that it, it's not straight at all. 
because it just continued to lean. And it's interesting now that this tower is visited by people all around the world come to visit this tower, and it's not because it's a useful tower. It's not a useful tower. They come to visit it. Why? Because it's an oddity. It's unique. It's a leaning tower. They want a picture by the leaning tower. And so that's why people come to see it. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting oddity that really has no use. In fact, it's an eight-story tower that's, that's tilted 17 feet off center. And all of the engineers would agree that at some point this tower is going to come down with a great crash. Now, Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount. And he ends this Sermon on the Mount with a great concern for you and I in the life that we're building. And his great concern for you and for I is that we don't build our lives in such a way that in the end it comes down with a great crash. He's interested in building followers who aren't oddities, but followers who are on stable ground, who don't in the end come crashing. And so it's important for us to hear the words of Jesus in this passage because it's important for us in terms of life that we're building. And he gives us great insight into how we can have the, that kind of life, a life that's, that's built on a firm foundation. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to look at this passage. It's a very important passage found in chapter 7 of Matthew. Once you find it in your Bible or hopefully have that handout, let's please stand uh, for the reading of Scripture, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it together. But let's hear this great portion of Scripture, this conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount together. Beginning in verse 24 through verse 29, it says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Then, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Okay, please be seated, and we'll take a look. Interestingly, Jesus is talking about building, and he knows something about building. He's a carpenter, so he knows something about uh, building, and he's talking, he's really giving a lesson on construction. And it's, it's, a, it's important for us to hear it because he's not talking about building buildings. He's talking about building our lives and he wants us to build it wisely. So this is, this is the kind of his conclusion to this message. Now, as we look at this passage and I teach it to you, one of the things that I want to do is not only teach the passage, but I also want to teach you a Bible study technique. When you come to a passage like this that has two things that are very similar, like in this passage, there's two builders. A Bible study technique that can be very helpful is to look at the passage and notice all of the things that are the same. And then read back over the passage and look at all the things that are different. So what's identical and what is different? And we're going to do that because when you do that and you compare the two, then you begin to really see what the core message is all about. And so we're going to look at this passage. And if you're a note taker, it's a great day because we're going to 
underline the things that are the same, and then we're going to circle the things that are different. So let's start with the things that are the same. Beginning in verse 24, it says this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a, a man who built his house on the rock. So I want you to underline man who built. Underline man who built. Then, looking at your passage, jump down to verse 26 and underline the words man who built. So there's two men who are builders here. And what Jesus wants to see from, this, from this, his, his, his picture here is that we're all builders. That each one of us, whether we know it or not, are builders. And Jesus is not talking about building buildings here because in this passage, he points out it's like the wise man who built on his house on the rock and it's like the foolish man who built. So he's not talking about building buildings. He's talking about the life that we're building, our existence. And so he's talking about whether we recognize it or not, we're building something. And I love that Jesus takes time to address this and he does it out of his deep care and concern for us that we are building a life uh, wisely. That's what he's interested in. And I think that's important to note because I think sometimes people will look at the Sermon on the Mount and they'll think to themselves that Jesus is just pointing his finger, telling us all the things that we're doing wrong. But that's not the case. Jesus is, is going through the Sermon on the Mount and he's concluding it and it's rooted deeply in his concern for us his care for us, that he wants us to build our, our lives um, in a way that's significant, in a way that matters, in a way that's not going to come crashing down in the end. So it's out of his deep love for us that he stops and he helps us recognize, hey, listen, you're building something. The question is, what are you building it on? Are you being wise? So he's in his care uh, helping us with that. And that's an important thing to see. Now, a second thing that I want you to see that's the same, that's identical, in verse 24, I want you to underline the word rock. Underline the word rock. Then, jumping down to verse 26, I want you to underline the word sand. Underline the word sand. And you're saying to yourself, no, wait a minute, Scott. I thought we were underlining things that were identical. The things that are the same. And thank you for being so observant. But let me just help you. They are the same. See, they're, they're the same thing happening here. The word rock, by the way, it means bedrock. And bedrock is what you get to when you dig underneath the sand to a point where you hit the bedrock. And so what you see here is an identical circumstance. They both have sand and they both have bedrock underneath the sand. There's just one guy that says, hey, I'm going to get to that bedrock underneath the sand. The other says, hey, this is firm enough sand. I'll build right there. But what I want you to see is it's identical. They both have the sand. They both have the bedrock. And this is important because um, I know that sometimes we have a tendency to look at other people and think that God favors them more than us. We think, well, they get all the breaks and I don't. But I want you to see here they have the identical circumstances here. That it's, it's possible to look at other people and we look at them and we think, man, God just loves them more. I mean, look at my circumstance, look at their circumstance. I mean, they get ice cream and I get, you know, I'm stuck with lima beans. And in my economy, that's not a good thing, right? That we somehow think that some people have a more favored status, but this, it, it's just, it's the same. It's identical, which is important because that's the next thing that I want you to see in verse, uh, in verse 24, go back to, or sorry, verse 25. If you want to underline something that's the same, it's this. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. 
Then, if you want to go to verse 27, you'll notice, again, the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. Sounds a lot like the Tri-Cities recently, right? But the point is, in both cases, there's builders. They both have the same set of circumstances. And in both cases, they both face storms. That's the reality. Both people, both builders face storms. And this is an important thing for us to recognize too, that in the Christian life, listen, it doesn't mean that you'll be able to dodge all difficulties when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. The, the message that for you to hear and that other people might try to make you believe something different is if you come to Christ, it'll all be perfect. That's not the case. You can come to Christ and still face storms. The same storms that you faced before. Let me just say it to you plainly. Listen, if you were, um, you were broke before you came to Christ, it's very possible that you could be broke after you come to Christ, okay? If you lost your job before you came to Christ, guess what? It's very possible that you could lose another job after you come to Christ. If you had cancer before you came to Christ, it's very possible that after you place your faith in Christ, you can have cancer again. Aren't you glad you came to church today? A very cheery message, I know. But I just, I want to be clear and I want to be direct. This is what the passage is saying. Listen, you could, if you, it's possible to have a divorce before you come to Christ. It's possible to have a divorce after you come to Christ. The storms of life come to all people. They come all circumstances and it, it, it can come uh, across the board. So this is, this is important for us to get, that we will face challenges and we feel, will face difficulties. Now here is where the series that I want to look at you, look with you at this summer comes into play. Because what I want to talk about this summer is the storms of life, the challenges that we face. And when we face challenges, circumstances, and they're universal, we're going to look at just a number of different common challenges that we all face in life. We can find ourselves when we face crisis, when we face challenges, when we face overwhelming circumstances, we can find ourselves feeling stuck. Have you ever felt that way before? Well, you just feel stuck. Listen, what we want to talk about is that very thing. That when we feel stuck in the midst of challenges, we feel like there's no way to turn, no way to go. We don't even know how to move forward. We're going to look at how we, with Christ, we can have hope. With Christ, we can have hope. The series we're going to be looking at, it's called Unstuck. Hope with Christ in life's circumstances, life's challenges. And so we're going to look at common challenges like um, temptation, rejection, disease, depression. We're going to look at a number of challenges that we all face, but with a different lens, a lens of saying, what does it look like with Christ? And we need that because we all can feel stuck. In the Bible, King David talks about a a time when he's stuck and he uses a, a different metaphor. He talks about being stuck in a pit. You can read about it in Psalm 40. He talks about how he was stuck in a pit in the miry clay and he rejoices in the firm foundation that he found in God, that God provides. And so what we want to do is look at the challenges we all face with God in the picture. What does it look like? What hope can we have when we look to Jesus in the midst of life's challenges? And we need that perspective because there's all sorts of um, information out there or advice out there or different things we try to do when we're stuck, and it doesn't always work, does it? 
I ran across something that I, I thought was interesting because it's something that we can in some ways relate to. When, when we're stuck in a pit, when we're stuck um, <laughs> and we don't know where to move forward, we can get lots of advice, lots of opinions that's not really very useful or helpful. And this really helps illustrate that. I'm sure you'll get it right away. It begins by just simply saying this. A man fell into a pit and couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I really feel for you down there in that pit. An objective person came along and said, you know, it's logical that you should have fallen into that pit. A spiritualist came along and said, you know, you only think you're in a pit. A Pharisee came along and said, only bad people fall into pits. Mathematician calculated how he fell into the pit, and the newspaper reporter wanted the exclusive story of the pit. The fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. And the realist said, you know, that is a pit. <laughs> Scientists calculated the pressure necessary to get out them out of the pit, and a geologist told them to appreciate the rock strata in the pit. The evolutionist said, you're, re you're a rejected mutant destined to be removed from the evolutionary cycle. In other words, let me summarize, you're going to die in that pit. The county inspector asked if he had a permit to dig a pit. The professor gave him a lecture on the elementary principles of the pit. An evasive person came along and avoided the pit altogether. A self-pitying person came by and said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. An optimist said, well, you know, things could be worse in your pit. And the pessimist said, things will be worse in your pit. Okay, so... There you go. You get the idea that there's lots of different information or people that could say things to you that aren't helpful, that aren't useful. But what we want to do is to say, okay, as we ta tackle the challenges of life, the difficulties, the storms, the pits that we find ourselves stuck in, we need hope. We need real, tangible hope. And that's found in Jesus. And that's what this passage talks about. It's saying, listen, you're building, build on the rock. David's saying, listen, I was in a pit. I needed to set my feet on the rock. That's when I rejoice in. And so we are going to be looking over the course of the summer how Jesus can be our rock and our source of hope in the midst of the challenges that we face. Now, that's why this passage is also very helpful for us to get because it goes on to talk about the rock that we need uh, to build our foundation upon. So now let's shift and we're going to go from what was identical to now what's different in the passage and we'll circle those things. So the thing that I want you to circle first is in verse 25, did not fall, did not fall. Then look at verse 27, fell with a great crash. So we have two builders who are building uh, houses and one did not fall, the other fell with a great crash crash. Now, to understand that experience, I refer to you the great theological volume of the three little pigs. That should help you understand what's going on in this scenario. So there's this crash and there's one that doesn't crash. The question is, well, how come one falls down and the other one doesn't? And it comes down to what they're built upon. What's that foundation? And so um, <laughs> if we want to circle something that's different, look at verse 24 and circle the word rock. Now, I know some of you are saying, Scott, you just had me underline it. Circle it too, okay? So circle it as well. Then verse 26, I want you to look at the word sand. Again, I had you underline it. Now I want you to circle it, okay? 
Now you're saying, wait a minute, Scott, you're cheating. You said that they are the same, they're identical, and now you're saying they're, di- they're, they're different. And yes, in, they're, they're same in the fact that they both have sand. But here's the difference. One person chose to dig down through the sand to the bedrock. That is the difference. The bedrock's there for both of them. One of them makes a choice and says, I'm going to build on the bedrock. The other says, hey, the sand is firm enough. Let's go. Let's build right here. So that is the big difference in the story that Jesus is helping us see. And so the, the, the foundation is essential, but more fundamental than the foundation is the builder themselves, which is why I want you to see the next, uh, next difference here. Verse 24, circle the word wise. Circle the word wise. Then verse 26, circle the word foolish. Foolish. Foolish in the Greek is uh, the word moros. Let's see if you can translate that. Okay, you got it. There's a lot of Greek scholars in this room. It's, it's clear. There's a wise person and a foolish person. So the, the wise person says, I'm, building, I'm digging down to the foundation. The foolish person says, I'm building on top of the sand. Seems firm enough. Good to go. So what I want you to see, though, is the contrast here is not, oh, it's a good person who builds a good house and it's a bad person who builds a bad house. No, they're both good houses, good people. That's not the contrast he's making. Jesus is not saying there's a moral person and an immoral person. That's not the contrast he's making. He simply says there's a wise person and a dumb guy, a, 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 a foolish person. That's what, he's, that's, that's what he's saying. That's the contrast he's making. Now, this is interesting too because when they were building their houses, right off the bat, who looked like they were the wise person? Who looked like the fool and who looked wise? Well, the person who built their house quickly was who? The guy who built on the sand, right? So all of a sudden, he looks like the wise guy. The foolish guy is the guy that's in his backyard digging, right? He's the guy that's like, what is that guy doing? Look at this guy. He's got his act together. Man, he, he had plans. He built this beautiful home. It went up quickly. It's gorgeous. And so they look like they've got it together. They're the wise person. The foolish guy's still digging. The wise guy's in his backyard barbecuing, saying to the guy that's digging, hey, come on over. The game's about to start. Why are you still digging? You, you look like an idiot. Until what happens? The storm happens. And then all of a sudden, the story flips. And the person who was digging was the wise one. And the one who built their house on the sand was the foolish one. That's the difference. It's the difference between the builders. And what, the, what of course, with that is what they're building upon. And so that's what we have to, we have to get right down to. Well, what's, what is it that they're building on? It's, there's a wise person who builds on the bedrock, the foundation. What's that foundation? Because if you can just get the right foundation, when the storm comes, it'll stay standing. So what is that foundation that the wise person says, I'm digging down to get there. I want to build on that. That's what the next difference here is that I want you to see. In verse 24, it says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and circle puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. So that's the difference because look in verse 27, but everyone who hears these words of mine, that is, they both heard the words. They both get the words, but the difference is what? This person does not put them into practice They're the foolish man who built his house 
on the sand. So the similarity, they both get the words. The difference, who practices them? What they do with them. Last week, if you were here, you know that we talked about Jesus talking about the two gates and the two roads. And really, Jesus was saying, you need to decide. You need to decide, are you going to put your faith in Jesus or not? It was a decision point. You need to decide. Now, this week, he's saying, you need to do. You need to practice what you're hearing. And that's the important thing, that we not just be hearers, but that we practice what we're hearing, that we respond to God's word. Any one of us could hear it, but the question is, what do we do with it? Now, the question that you have then is, well, what are the words that I need to be hearing and responding to? Well, it's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is concluding his talk. He's concluding his sermon. He's saying, when you hear these words of mine and do them, you're like the wise man who built his foundation on the rock. It's the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, of course, Jesus is God, and we need to listen to all of his words in Scripture. But specifically, he's referring to the words of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what we need to practice, not just here, but put into work and to practice into our lives. And you're saying, well, what are those words? What was the Sermon on the Mount all about? So um, some of you have been here, some of you haven't. Let me just give you a little sweeping summary of the Sermon on the Mount that we are to build our lives upon. Listen, we begin, began with blessing. Do you remember that? Jesus saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. He begins with blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. But you might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, that doesn't make as much sense to me. I, what makes more sense to me is blessed are the rich in money. Now that sounds like a blessing, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. What's he getting at? He begins his message by saying, listen, blessed is the person who's spiritually broke, who recognizes that they have spiritual poverty. That is, blessed is the person who recognizes I'm not bringing anything to God, not my works, not my words that's going to impress him and say, whoa, blessed are you. It's the person who says, I'm broke. I'm spiritually broken. God, it's not my words. It's not my works that I'm bringing to you. I'm bringing you nothing. It's not something I'm giving to you. I need to receive something from you. That's the person who's blessed. Happy is the person who says, God, I can't. I need something from you. And they come and it ignites faith. Faith in God, a God who can give, a God who wants to work and do something on the inside. His words, his work on our behalf. Blessed is that person. That's where it begins. Jesus wants to do a work on the inside. And as soon as he does a work on the inside, guess what he wants to do? He wants to man- it's manifest itself on the outside. So he's like, hey, I want to build your character. I want to build you on the inside. But guess what? I also want it to come out. I want it to be- you to be a contributor. When you received, you need to distribute. And that's why in the next part of the, the Sermon on the Mount, he goes to the you are statements. Do you remember that? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So he says, listen, I'm doing a work on the inside. Now guess what? It's your turn to be distributors to the world around you on the outside. Salt, it restrains decay. And it's, in our world, we're to be a restraining agent against a, a decaying world. Light is to bring you goodness into the world around us. That's what we're called to be. That's what we're called to do. And some of you are saying, well, I just don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can make that kind of a contribution in the world. And, and besides, the world is so messed up. It's so broken. And I would say, yes, I know. I get it. 
You're saying, well, you just, you just don't get it. There's, there's, so much, there's so much darkness and there's so much challenges. I just want to stay home. And it's like, I go, no, I get it. Some of you are saying, I just need to turn off the news because it's just so overwhelming. I get it. But Jesus says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You're to step out and make a difference in the world. And it's not that you can change all the world, right? But you make a difference in the world that you're living in. And that's true for all of us. You know the story, the famous story of the boy who was on the beach and there had just been a tidal surge and had washed up onto the shore, just hundreds and hundreds of starfish. They were just stranded on the beach. And so this little boy is scrambling on the beach and he's picking up the starfish and he's throwing them back into the ocean one at a time, one at a time. And some older guy was there and he just felt badly for this kid and just came up to the kid and said, hey, I, you don't understand. I mean, there's a tidal surge and you might throw a few back in there, but there's just the surge is going to come and hundreds and hundreds of more starfish are going to be beached up on the, on the beach. And so you're really not going to make much of a difference. And the little boy, without even looking, picks up another starfish, flings it out in the water, and says, made a difference to that one. I love that. Listen, you can make a difference in the world that you're in. God's not calling you to change the whole world. You're not God. But he is saying, make a difference in your world, right where you're at, your family, your friendships, your workplace, your school. Make a difference there. Be salt, be light. God wants to do work on the inside so that he can do work through you in the world around you. But it's that, that same pattern repeated throughout the Sermon on the Mount. I want to do a work on the inside so I can do a work on the outside. Do a work on the inside so I can do a work on the outside. And we see that in the next part of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, listen, let's talk about the inside. You're really proud of the fact that you're not murdering? Okay, let's look on the inside. How are you doing with hate and anger? Let's ad- are you ready to address that? You're really proud of the fact that you're not committing adultery? Okay, let's, let's talk about the inside. How's your thought life going? You're really proud of the fact that, you, you know, um, you, you got these other things going on. Let's talk about the inside. All of us have an internal tendency to want revenge, to want vengeance. Jesus says, listen, where does that come from? The inside, our own pride. It's, it's our own desire to, to get even. He says, hey, let's, let's address that. And so he t- talks deep about the inside. And we see that pattern inside, outside. Then, of course, he says, okay, you ready to go back on the outside now? Yeah, you want, to, you want to give, you want to pray, you want to fast. That's good. You're doing something on the outside, but just make sure you're not doing it to impress other people, but you're doing it to say, God, I want to connect with you. And so he ultimately pushes us and says, hey, it's a connection to God before you go on the outside. Don't do it to impress people, connect with God. And then he gives us the model prayer, the shortest prayer, helps us connect with him. It's so powerful. And then he says, hey, well, listen, there are things, I want to reward you when you do things, um, spiritually speaking, to say, God, it's for you, not to impress others. I'll reward you. But then we can get caught up thinking about the outside stuff again, going, oh, man, I want wealth, and I get worried about it. And so he says, hey, that stuff can enslave you, and so be generous. Have a spirit of generosity serving other people and trusting God in your, your places of anxiety that he will provide. And as soon as he says, hey, I want you to start thinking about serving other people and, and, and being generous, then we also, he also recognizes that there's some internal work that still needs to go on because as soon as we think about being generous and serving, we start to sort out you know, the worthy people and the unworthy people. Well, they're worthy of it. They're not worthy of it. And so he stops and says, wait a minute, don't judge. Stop judging other people. 
Don't be critical of others. What I want you to do is judge yourself. Again, inside, before the outside. I want you to be examining your own life in your own heart. And then when we recognize, yes, God, I'm spiritually poor, I'm broken, then he says, guess what? You can ask and you can seek and you can knock. What a great resource. Jesus again says, but I'll be your resource. I want you to do work on the inside. You can come, ask, and it'll be given to you. Knock and the door, uh, seek and it'll be given. Knock and the door will be open. He wants to help us. He wants us to get there. And then he's, he ends with that great golden rule, right? That we would treat others the way that we want to be treated, that we love people. It sums up the, the law and the prophets. And then he says, okay, you ready to get started? Here's how you start. You look for the two gates. And there's a wide gate and the narrow gate. Go to the narrow gate. It might be a little bit harder, but you go there because it's simple faith in Jesus Christ alone that gets you through the gate. That's the gate you want to go through. You trust Jesus. And then once you get on the road, the road to discipleship, you go down that road. You follow Jesus. You don't look back. You say, God, I want to walk with you towards maturity that you would continue to work on the inside and help me to be the person you want me to be on the outside. That's, that's what he wants to do. And then he comes back down to building. He says, what are you building your life on? So it's not just deciding. It's, it's not just believing. It's building. Building on my words. Doing what I've called you to do. Then you'll have confidence that in the end, it won't all come crashing down at the end. That's what he's saying. Now, you're saying, well, why is Jesus so concerned that we hear all these words? And this is where the last two verses can be quite helpful. Verse 28 says this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. You bet they were. They were amazed at his teaching and amazed as they were stunned. They were shocked. They were floored by his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Then verse 29, why were they so shocked? It says, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. He taught with one who had authority. And not just because he was a great speaker, but because he's God. That's why he has the authority. See, the other teachers of the law, they're just, you know, referring to one another and they're referring to the the Old Testament. But when Jesus referred to the Old Testament, he said, you've heard it said in the Old Testament, but I tell you, you're like, whoa, Jesus, you're putting yourself on equal ground or above the the Old Testament. But that's it. Jesus is saying, no, I've got that authority because listen, I wrote the Old Testament. Now, let me tell you what I meant by when when I wrote it. Let me tell you about how it applies. Jesus is equating himself with God. So people who would ever tell you, Jesus is just a good moral teacher. That's not true. Jesus doesn't leave that option open. He, He claims to be God because he's equating himself with God, with his teaching, with his authority. He he is not hiding that. And so he speaks with authority because he is God and he's speaking words of truth. He is God and he's good. He's both. Not just a good teacher. He is God. It's, it's important. And the, the people who were listening were blown away because they were hearing the very words of God. And he just wants, the, wants them, he's very deeply concerned that they not just hear the words, but they let it, they let it sink in and they follow it, that they pursue it, they go after it, that they do it. The question for you and I is, what does that look like for us? How do we put into practice, like the wise builder, how do we put into practice the words that we've heard? How do we take these, this passage and put it to work in our life? Well, it starts again by going inside and then going outside. Though the inside part, it means us coming and saying, God, I recognize I'm spiritually poor. 
I need you to do work on the inside. It's not that I'm bringing anything to you. It's not my words and not my works. In fact, I don't want you to examine my words and my works. I need to come to you and say, God, I have got nothing and I need something from you. Will you I want to receive your word, the fact that you love me, that you've, you want to guide me and counsel me and your work, the fact that you died on the cross for my sins in my place. That's what I want to receive. Forgiveness, freedom, life, relationship. So it's coming and saying, God, do a work on the inside, responding to him in faith, in faith alone. And then when you do that, then it's, then it's saying, okay, well, now I've got to do something with it. I've taken this. Now what, what I've got to put into practice. And for some of you, that means you need to start forgiving other people. God has forgiven you. Putting it to practice means, yep, there's people in my life this week I need to forgive. I've been holding on and it's eating me up and it's, it's wrecking my, ruining my relationships. I need to put it to work. I need to forgive other people. Some of you who, who want vengeance, it's letting that go. Some of you, it's, it's you have a critical spirit. You're judging others and you need to say, God, this week, I need to just let that go. I can't judge them. I need you to judge me, do a work in my heart, reveal my pride, reveal my, the, the log in my own eye before I start pointing out the speck in everyone else's. So God, do a work in me. It's applying the words that we've heard. It's putting them into practice. It's saying, God, use me to be salt. Use me to be light. It's taking it and doing something with it. That's what he's calling us to do, to, to, to uh, go from the inside to the outside, to respond to his. Jesus says in this passage, we're all building. He wants us to believe and build. We're all building. The question is, what are we building on? And Jesus' deep, great concern is it doesn't come all crashing down in the end. Perhaps you heard the story of the, the man who was, a, who was a builder. And over the course of his career, he built a bit of a niche for himself. He was a, a builder of custom homes. And so he would find people who wanted, uh, you know, luxury, uh, you know, luck, uh, exotic homes, big homes, and he would build them for them. And so for 30 years, he'd found this little niche. And over the course of that time, he he'd, uh, made himself quite wealthy. He'd done very well for himself in this business. And he had a foreman that worked with him and for him for all those years. And that foreman was really his right-hand guy and helped him all the way through. But all the way through, he'd been telling that foreman, hey, you know what? After 30 years, I'm going I'm to be done. I'm going to retire. I'm going to call it quits. And so that 30-year mark came. And so he came to his foreman and he said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to take a trip. I'm going to go. It's been 30 years. I'm ready to retire. I'm going to go on a trip to Europe, and I'm going to be gone for a while. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to build me a house that's a beauty. I want you to find the property. I want you to put together the plans. I want you to build me a beautiful home. And so he takes off, and the foreman goes out, and he finds a beautiful piece of property that he knows his boss will love. And he puts together these, these incredible plans for this, this gorgeous home. And as he puts together the plans and he starts to go into the work, it dawns on him that when his boss comes back, you know, he's going to be retired and have this beautiful home, but the foreman is going to be unemployed. And so he's going to have all this and he's going to be left on his own with nothing. So as he been, begins to build the house, Things shift for him and he begins to build the house with shoddier material. 
And he begins to cut corners in terms of the craftsmanship and he takes that extra money and he begins the difference and he begins to pocket it. And he's feeling pretty good about himself because when he's done with it, it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, he knows it's really not a very good home at all. Now, the boss comes home. The boss comes home and says, I can't wait to see the home you built. Hey, can I get a tour? And so he, the foreman takes the boss on a tour and, and walks them through the home. And it's a beautiful home. And he says, the boss says to the foreman, so what do you think about this home? And the foreman gulps. And he says, oh, it's a, it's a good home. And the boss says to the foreman, great, here's the keys. It's yours. Now listen, we don't want to be surprised at the end of our life that we've been building in such a way that it's all going to come crashing down at the end. Jesus, in his love for us, says, listen, I'm calling you to believe and build and build wisely on the foundation of my word. Hear it and respond to it. So let's do that together now. Let's pray and come before him together. Right now, as we come into this time of prayer, it's just an opportunity for you personally to respond to Jesus, to his words. And for some of you, this is a moment for you to just stop and recognize that you are spiritually poor. The Bible teaches us it's Blessed is the person that recognizes that you can't bring anything to God, but you need to receive something from him. And maybe you're there today where you recognize, God, it's not my works, it's not my words, but it's your work and your word I need to trust. Your work when you died on the cross to forgive me for my sins, you took my place. Your word that you truly do love me and have a plan for me. God, I trust in you. If you're here and you're ready to receive that gift, to come to him with open hands. Now's an opportunity for you to express your faith in him, to say, Jesus, I trust in you. I need you to forgive me, to lead me. I want to build my life on you. For others of you, this is a moment to come before the Lord and say, God, help me to do, not just here, but to do. And for some of you right now, that might mean you recognize there's someone in your life you need to forgive. And you can say it. Just tell them, God, I need your help right now. You've forgiven me. Help me to be someone who forgives others. To not just be someone who hears, but someone who does what you're calling us to do. For some of you, it's not just forgiving someone, but you also need to apologize to someone. Maybe it's for your anger. Maybe it's for greed. Maybe it's for deceit, whatever it might be. But now is an opportunity for you to say, God, help me because I know I need to seek forgiveness. I need to apologize to someone. And it's hard. Help me. There's other of us who just need to say, God, I've been sitting back on the sidelines and I need to get back in the race that you have called me to be salt and light in the world around me. Give me eyes to see the needs of the people around me. Give me the heart to serve and to serve faithfully.
God, together we just say thank you for your word. That it reveals your heart, your concern for us. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to you with nothing and receive everything from you through simple faith in Christ. Thank you for the life that you promised, the life that you offer. Thank you for your presence and your power. God, we pray that you'd help us to be people who are not just hearers of your word, but respond to your word, and that we would do so for your glory and our good. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.